If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is the first time tuning in, welcome to our show. And for all of our return visitors, welcome back. I hope everyone's ready for another great weekend. We are here. I am out of St. Louis, and we've had a fabulous uh, week with great weather. It looks like we're going to be hitting into the 90s again. So one more week of that um, hot weather for us in the Midwest. But anyway, welcome to another episode of Van Security for All. For anyone that is a first-time listener, remember you can follow our show and all of our past guests on your favorite podcast station, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, any place you like to listen to your podcast shows. Here we are. It's September 10th. It's hard to believe that tomorrow will be 20 years since 9-11. I hope whatever your plans are this weekend, everyone takes a few minutes and pays tribute and honor and remembers the heroes and the victims of 9-11. And again, never forget. Last weekend, I had a an amazing opportunity. I am here, as I said, in St. Louis, and I volunteered at an amazing tribute for 9-11 that's happening right now in St. Louis, Missouri. It's, on, um, it's in our forest park. It's on Art Hill. I was part of a team of several, several teams um, putting up 7,000 flags. All of those flags represented our fallen military service members and our first responders. It was one of the most beautiful things that I've seen, and I'm, I'm actually surprised it has not made national news. And for anyone that follows me on LinkedIn, I am going to post a lot of photos this weekend of what that looks like. Um, because there's 7,000 flags out there. Not only did we, um, we had teams that assembled those flags and then we put those in the ground and we went back through and each flag has a photo and a dog tag of the fallen military service member and our first responders. It's, It's just a very beautiful thing. It's a week long event held at Art Hill in Forest Park to honor the victims of 9-11, the first responders who lost their lives and those who had made the ultimate sacrifice to keep our country safe fighting the war on terror. Again, if you happen to be here in St. Louis, I highly encourage you to go down there and pay tribute to that memorial. It's so beautiful. Tonight, they are actually, the um, National Guard is coming in and it's going to be a 16-hour um, tribute. They are going to go from 7,000 flags one by one and they are going to announce the name, that um, military member, his rank, what service he was in and where he was from. And they say it's going to last 16 hours long. Pretty awesome event. Um, And then the great thing is, is after that, they take all of those flags and it definitely is a mission to find the family members of those fallen victims. So they have teams trying to find the family members and they, um, they send all those flags to each family member. So if there happens to be anybody that's actually listening to the show and you do have a fallen family member and you have not heard from anyone in St. Louis about getting that flag, please message me because I would love to help um, those flags get to the right people. So with all of that going on, um, my topic today that we're going to talk about is cybersecurity insurance. And I was thinking about it. It was really after 9-11. We, we really didn't hear a lot about cybersecurity pre, you know, before 9-11. And then everything, our world has changed and everything is different. You know, you, you we can't even keep up with the cyber crime that's going on in the world. And it's it's been an interesting topic over the last couple of years about cybersecurity insurance. And it reminds me of right now, I have some friends that own property up west and it's a teen retreat center. And because of the insurance and all the fires out west, they're having to close down because they can't keep up with the insurance premiums. And that kind of 
I feel like is aligning what's happening with cybersecurity insurance. So today I have a guest. He's local here from St. Louis, and it was coincidental. I was on the call with him this week just about some business insurance, and we started talking about cyber insurance. And, you know, one thing led to another, and here he is, my guest today. His name is Brian Dolan, and he works um, for, he um, has served in property and casualty insurance since, in that industry since 2002. He began his career as an account representative with Liberty Mutual, um, his degrees in business administration, and now um, he is working as an insurance agent with, um, I'm probably going to mess that up, so I'm just going to invite Brian on to the show. Welcome to the show, Brian. Kim, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, with Missouri General now, I've been here uh, for about 12 years, and as you mentioned, I got my start in the insurance industry back in 2002, uh, straight out of college, and I've uh, been working here ever since, and then I'd say in the last three to five years have uh, focused on cyber insurance, um, the technology aspect of, of cyber insurance, and uh had the pleasure of, of riding the roller coaster that that's been going through over the last several years. So thank you for allowing me to be part of your show and uh, to continue this conversation. Of course. So so let's talk about that. If you've been in the industry since 2002, what has that timeline been for you to even, when did you start like hearing about cybersecurity insurance? You know, it's interesting when I, when I started in 2002, the cyber insurance didn't exist in, in the way that it does now. I would say that, uh, you know, it be started to become a thing probably about 10 years ago for certain larger organizations, certainly some healthcare organizations that have, you know, HIPAA uh, regulations that they have to comply with. Um, you know, protecting that data was important to them, but it really didn't become something that the mainstream uh, commercial uh, companies were purchasing until I would say maybe five, four or five years ago. And and just in, since that four and five years, uh, the product itself has changed a lot. The, uh, the response to the claims that they've seen has changed a lot. And so we've really undergone an evolution just in the last three, four, five years for cyber insurance, which if you're not in the insurance industry, you may not be aware, but for the insurance industry, that's lightning speed. Um, you know, typically uh, trends go over decades, not years. Uh, so it's it's been something that the insurance industry has been trying to keep up with, with the different types of claims that have come in, uh, the the amount of money that has been going out, uh, and and then allocating, uh, you know, data research. It's a it's a heavily uh, based in analysis when, when they come up with pricing and the product itself. So all that's really changed so much in just the last couple of years. And really in the last 12 months, it's undergone a lot more change. So it's it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, there's always something new. Uh, you know, it's not the same. Uh, you come into work one day and you think you know how things operate and what to expect. And then you get thrown for a loop and then that happens again and you have to learn more and more about it. And to me, I find that interesting. I, I don't like to be doing the same thing every day, get stagnant, get stale. I like to be able to, you know, be challenged to, to learn more. And uh, certainly cyber insurance has been a challenge. So can you give us some examples of what size companies, what type of insurance, when you get a call, an inquiry, what does that look like? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll generically put it into two buckets. You've got your, your I'll call them smaller mom and pop to mid-sized companies that aren't involved with technology and uh, you know, don't really have what would be an obvious link uh, to to need cyber insurance, and and those are the kind of the mom and pop operations that uh, you know has been somewhat stable. What's really been transitioning here uh, the most has been your larger organizations, uh, ones that 
their business is going in and touching the technology infrastructure of their clients. And when they do that, it, uh, it could open up a whole level of access from one business entity to another's. Uh, and certainly we've seen some of the hacks in the news that have happened, not from the organization that was holding the data, but perhaps a third party came in and was able to use their affiliation with that company as an entry point to get in and and really infiltrate their, their system. So to me, there's two big buckets. There's the mom and pop, uh, your retail, your manufacturers, even contractors. Um, and then there is more of the heavy tech industry, uh, I'll call it. Um, and so we deal with all of them. And, and certainly there's different there's different rules to the playing field for both of those two different buckets of companies. So do you have a lot of people that are coming to you after the fact and that are saying, I wish I would have, wish I, you know, or, or do you, are you seeing people staying proactive that, okay, I'm hearing this on the news all the time. Can you explain cyber insurance? What should I do as a small business owner? What's the average thing you're seeing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, because I would say three, four years ago, we had difficulty getting traction when talking to clients about the need for cyber insurance. It wasn't something that people really felt like they had a whole lot of exposure to and that was necessary. Uh, and so it was a little bit of a difficult conversation. A lot of people like to think that, you know, they've got a really good IT staff or, or third-party vendor, and a lot of them do have very good staff and third-party vendors, um, but that doesn't mean that you're impervious to the threats that are out there that are coming from overseas and, and even here in, in America. And now that conversation has flipped a little where we're certainly getting a lot more firms that are interested in discussing it. I think it's become more of a topic at board meetings ever than before, even from you know publicly traded companies to your small nonprofit boards where uh, you see it in the news, and, and what you see in the news is just a small tip of the large iceberg is what we're actually seeing out here in the street. A lot of the the hacks that, that are out there don't make the news, but it's certainly an event for an insurance standpoint when they have the insurance. So, uh, you know, when couple all that together and the demand for the discussion and for the product itself is, is really going up, uh, people are understanding it more. They understand that uh, it, there's a need for the product. The product does a lot of interesting, different things depending on what you what you buy. So it, we get into the into you know the different aspects of the cyber policy and what makes sense for certain customers, what doesn't make sense for other customers, so that we can try to apply something to them that makes sense. So they're not buying a off the shelf product, but something that's really something that's gonna address their specific concerns. So what exactly does cyber insurance cover? So if they come into you, say they're a, you know, a medium, small to medium sized business, maybe they're, you know, netting five to $10 million a year. What does that look like if a policyholder comes into you? Like, what kind of premiums are we looking at? What does that cover? Well, you know, I have no idea. So it's, it's I find it very fascinating. Yeah. So uh, the evolution of the policy has changed. Um, there's two major parts to the policy. We'll call them first party and third party coverages. Third party being when the government or your customers sue you because you were hacked and their data was relinquished out into the dark web because your inability to safeguard that data. So when the policy was first put into place, the thought process was that most of the claims are going to come from the third party, people getting sued, government. I mean, there's policy, there's laws and regulations, both federally and at the state level, that businesses have to safeguard and protect their customers' data, their employees' data. Um, and so that's where the thought process was when the policy was first put in place. But then uh, funny thing happened. Uh, the first party uh, portion of the, of the policy is really what's been triggered the most, which is the costs that a firm uh, 
comes across that they inherit whenever there is a breach or there is an extortion event. Um, so uh, a lot of it when I tell talk to folks is, uh, you know, what do you do when you show up one day and you find out that you've been hacked? And lately it's it's been extortion, really. That's the key driver of the changes in the marketplace right now is these extortion uh, events that have happened. What do you do when you come in and you get the blue screen of death and everything's encrypted and it says, pay me X amount of dollars in Bitcoin or we're going to you know, release your data into the world or never let you have it again. Uh, so it starts with a response. Um, so you have to have be with a carrier that's going to respond quickly because timing is extremely important with cyber, much more so than, you know, a property or a workers comp where you can get on a claims adjuster in a day or two and it'll work out. Not with cyber. You need to get somebody out there right away. You need a forensic IT firm to come in, start digging through the system, discover the entry point of the bad actor, figure out where all what all data was compromised how do we uh, cordon off access from that bad actor and then it, it starts from there to now you have potentially people that you have to go out and your customers have you have to notify them of this breach and what happened and then you have to pay for potentially credit monitoring um, and, and those are the first party some of the first party uh, coverages that we've really seen been the drivers of claims. Um, but the, the biggest one is cyber extortion. Uh, over Since the pandemic started, there's been an 800% increase in cyber extortion events in the United States. Um, and most of that is small to mid-sized businesses. And so that's a component of the policy is to deal with the, with the pirates themselves. Uh, you know, if you have an insurance policy that does that for you. A lot of folks don't even know where to get Bitcoin, you know, it's which is typically what is requested in a ransomware. So there needs to be a third party, needs to be a plan in place. And some firms are large enough that they can hire up and staff up for that plan and they can address those needs internally. A lot of companies, especially in the mid to small size and even the nonprofits, they just don't have the ability to have somebody on staff that can respond to that and, and can deal with all the ramifications of an extortion event. So the cyber policy has come into play and been a real uh, you know, cost effective and economical way to deal with that. You know, we sell policies all the time to your mom and pop stores uh, and organizations, uh, you know, for $1,000 to $3,000. You know, these are going to be your you know, your non-technical, non-healthcare related types of, of companies that their customers aren't in, uh, they're not touching the technical aspects of servers and software of their customers. So it's been pretty cost effective. Um, what we're seeing though, is that the, the bars to entry to get a quote are much different than they even were six months ago. Um, before there was a five question application and the application basically asked your, your customers, uh, you know, do you do you do data backup? Do you have firewalls? Uh, do you have antivirus software? Are you aware of a claim? And how much revenue do you have? With those questions, I could get you a quote almost instantaneously. Uh, but recently, that's not the case. Now they're asking a lot more questions about multi-factor authentication, about uh, your backups, and and how you go about uh, securing those, and are they touching the system? They're even running in the background before they'll offer a quote. Uh, insurance carriers will, will, they have the ability now to run uh, a test on your website. So without your knowledge, your website will be tested for vulnerabilities. And if it doesn't pass, you won't get a quote. Uh, this is developments that are within the last couple of months that are, it's just, changed so much it's every two weeks it's like there's a new requirement from an insurance carrier just to get a quote so we're really trying to stay on top of this ever-changing landscape and advising our clients about how to protect themselves their safeguards what's going to be required of them to get a quote or even to get a renewal if they already have a policy um, we need to work with them uh, to make sure that they're doing the things that carriers want to have done in order to offer coverage for 
That's so crazy because you're an insurance broker and now you're almost becoming like an IT advisor, you know, to to keep these companies safe. And what are some what what are the typical type of hacks that you were seeing? Because you're are you seeing a different? Is it all similar? Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that there's ingenious hacks out there. Um, the the truth is, it's just uh, a lot of the same actors trying different methods to gain access into a system. So you see a lot of the, uh, the emails that are, are, look like they're legitimate emails coming from a legitimate source, you know, with a link on there to click something and they send it to everybody in the organization. And that's where we, we preach a, a lot of training for your employees to make sure that they're looking for red flags for them, those types of phishing emails. Um, but one person clicks on it and doesn't notify IT right away and you know the a system has been potentially hacked and it, you may not know right away it may take a little while for that to manifest itself um but the, the, basically it's just different ways of the bad actors out there trying to trick people into clicking something that will open up a trojan horse or any other type of uh virus or extortionware on ransomware, I should say, onto the system. And uh, they'll try diff many different methods. And it just takes one person, one time in your organization to accidentally click on something they think is legitimate. And it can cause the whole system to go down and, and create a, a massive issue for the organization. Yeah, we talk about it all the time on our shows, on our events. You know, we talk about phishing, you know, attack you know, training for employees, but the poor little smaller non-technical companies that could just be running, I don't know, a little retail store that has maybe teenagers working for them that has access to the emails. I, I feel like, you know, they don't, they, you know, their IT company is a third party, you know, so they have to make a phone call. It could even be like a GoDaddy, you know, mm -hmm. so they may not even have support. And I, I read about those little small businesses that are getting attacked and going out of business all the time. So um, are you seeing what's it, what's the trend been as far as the premiums and is that starting to go up? Like where have you seen in the last, well, in the last two years since pre-COVID and now, what have you seen on the premiums? Yeah, uh, premiums are going up. Uh in generally speaking, but they're not going up across the board evenly. So before I was talking about two different buckets where you've got kind of your mom and pop, uh, your retailers, your manufacturers, your, your contractors, some nonprofits, they're, they're seeing premium increases, but more so uh, it's not huge premium increases for, the, for them. It's more along the lines of you now have to have certain like I said before, multi-factor authentication, especially for remote access users and privileged accounts um, and potentially data backup systems that you just won't be eligible to get the quote. So, um, you know, if you are eligible to get the quote and you're a mom and pop shop and, you know, you could potentially see your premium increase 10, 15%, it, it's not great. Um, but compared to the other bucket, which is, larger organizations, publicly traded, um, any, you know, if you've got a lot of uh, data records, if it's patients because you're in healthcare or it's, you know, you're, you're in a payment processing industry and you have lots of customer data. Um, and if you've got uh, in any way you, your business is in the technological field, then um, we're seeing premium increases 100% or more. Um, and, and it's not just the premium increases, because odds are, if you're in those fields, uh, you don't need the standard million dollars. You have, you know, you could have 3 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million. I have a customer north of 35 million in cyber insurance. And the carriers before that were off willing to offer, say, 10 million, they'll come back to you and say, well, with this renewal, we'll do two. You'll get two out of us. And then we have to go. To the other to the marketplace with the other carriers and stack carrier on carrier we call it layering and we'll layer in a program to get you to 10 million well 
the premium increase, you know, if you would think when you go from that primary carrier goes from 10 million to $2 million, you're going to see a huge decrease in premium. But the reality is we don't see a decrease in premium and sometimes we'll see an increase in premium and it'll completely depend upon the, the procedures that that organization has in place. It's, it's becoming a much more heavily underwritten line of business. Um, and this is all changing quickly. You know, we talk internally that, uh, you know, a property underwriter uh, and you know, workers comp and, and general liability, they have the benefit of a hundred years, especially in property, a hundred years of, of claims data of modeling for fires and for, uh, you know, catastrophic storms, hurricanes, and certainly there's fluctuations in that uh, as time goes on, but there's a lot of data out there to build upon. That data doesn't really exist in any meaningful way in order to model for the losses from a large scale uh, industry standpoint as to what we're gonna see for cyber. Uh, even the data that's three years old is not extremely relevant when trying to model how to charge people premiums for. So we're seeing a lot of insurance carriers either cut limits, raise deductibles and premiums. Some carriers are done writing insurance. Uh, they've hit their capacity levels, which basically means, you know, that a carrier can write, I'll pick a number out of the air, $50 million of cyber liability insurance this year. And uh, they, they might hit it. They might come short and they might say, we're, you know what, the market's too hot we're done for the year. Um, we're not going to offer any more coverage for anybody or any more policies over a million or $2 million uh, for anybody else until the end of 2021. And then we'll reassess for 2022 and let you know what we're thinking then. And so that has a dramatic impact on the competitiveness, excuse me, the competitiveness of the landscape for cyber insurance when the markets that are left look around and they're suffering losses and they don't have as much competition. Well, it's not just insurance. Any industry can tell you that with less competition and less profitability, the ones that remain are going to make terms less competitive for their customers and it's going to be harder to get the quote. So we're, we're going through this right now. These are real time things. I, I go through quotes today, yesterday, last week where I'm seeing all of this play out in a way that I didn't see three months ago, four months ago. It's uh, the, the, the sands are shifting underneath the insurance cyber marketplace as we speak. And we're doing our best to stay ahead of it and advising our customers what they need to do to prepare. Either they need to add multi-factor authentication or, or do some things with their, their data backup procedures and training. Um, or we're notifying them as soon as we can about potential changes for their renewals that they're gonna they're gonna see. So we're doing our best to stay on top of this. It's, it's a difficult thing, but uh, it keeps us on our toes, and and that's definitely something that we enjoy doing. So with the fallout that happened with CNA, and after they paid that, they say forty million dollar ransom. What what how did that fall out to all the the insurance companies? Did that affect you? Did that affect your industry? What was, what did you see after that? Well, it certain affected, certainly affected CNA. Uh, I mean, CNA was down out of commission for a while. Um, and, you know, certainly they're one of the carriers that we deal with. And, you know, it just goes to show you that even the experts in the field, they get hacked too. You know, there is no impenetrable system that exists out there. So it was really unfortunate to see that, um, you know, that was one of many, you know, certainly we saw CNA, we saw solar winds, uh, you know, the pipeline, um, Microsoft exchange, uh, those are all the big ones that you see. Um, and certainly they have a result, uh, on, on what happens in the insurance industry, but there are a ton of hacks and ransom that occurs. Uh, that just never makes the news, even stuff that could be bigger than CNA just doesn't make the news. Uh, it's just, it, it all has an impact. And, and certainly there's a debate out there about should we as a society pay ransom? Um, and 
you know, I see both sides of that, you know, and it's, it's a difficult, delicate subject to, to get into because certainly, uh, there, there are people on both sides that have good points. Um, what we see is that, uh, insurance carriers, they will pay the ransom. That is part of that policy. They'll do everything they can not to pay the ransom. They'll try to back, get to your backups if those have been somehow corrupted uh, in a ransomware attack, then they're going to do what they can to try to bring that back to life. But another part of the policy is that if you're taken out of commission because of a hack, be it ransomware or any other type of hack, these policies will pay your lost profits while you're not able to operate because your system is down. So in that sense, the insurance carrier has a, a motivation to get you back up and running as quickly as possible to mitigate that business income and loss of profit uh, aspect of that claim. So they will engage with uh, the extorters if, if it's necessary, and they will pay the Bitcoin in order to get the decryption software to get you back up and running again. I know it's not something that they want to do, and it's not something they want to talk about, but it happens. And uh, I guess depending upon which side of the fence you fall, that's a good thing or it's a bad thing. But it's part of the policy and it exists. And it, 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 uh, the as I mentioned before, there's been an 800 percent increase in ransomware events just since COVID started. So it's a real thing. These claims are real. They happen. They're being paid. Our friend, uh, Jonathan Kimmett, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at the University of Tulsa. Thanks for joining us again, Jonathan. He had a comment, paying or not paying is a risk evaluation. There's a lot of pieces that have to be considered, including the future consequences. That's just a tough call. I mean, it seems like you're seeing, I don't know, you're in the insurance business, but what we hear on the news is more people are paying than not paying. Yeah, we, we see them paying, um, you know, it's a marketplace, uh, people who buy insurance policies and they spend the money on cyber. The market has spoken that they want that to happen. Now, whether or not we as a society decide that that's a good thing and there is some kind of federal intervention that prevents that from happening. I, I mean, from where I stand, I, I think that it's going to continue in the, that same trajectory. But one thing that you might see is that in the policies, the ransomware, the extortion piece of the policy is traditionally had the same limit as the rest of the policy. And most of the policies I sell have million dollar limits for just about everything. Um, and that's for your mom and pop stuff. At, at a minimum, there's a, a million. We're starting to see that there are now going to be sub limits for extortion. So before where there was a you have a million dollars for all your lines of coverage in your cyber policy, you may now have 500,000, you might have 250,000. Certain carriers have made uh, as a part of their policy, a co-insurance where now you're going to pay 50 cents on the dollar for your extortion event uh, after your deductible. So, you know, then you start bleeding into, are you really buying an insurance policy or are you, what are you buying? You know, that's where you got it. These policies, none of them are, are, the same from carrier to carrier. So that's one of the other main differences between a cyber policy and a workers' comp policy, a property, a general liability, an auto policy. All those other policies generally share the same forms between insurance carriers. Certainly there's differences by endorsements and uh, you know, you got to get into the weeds a little bit there, but you can have a pretty generally good understanding of most product offerings outside of cyber just by understanding one basic form. It is not the case with cyber and tech, technology errors and emissions insurance, which is another form of cyber. Um, every insurance carrier writes their own policy from scratch. So you have to be diligent in reviewing these policies when it comes to things like sublimits for extortion, when it comes to requirements uh, for coverages to be even triggered when the claim happens, you need to know about those things before you buy the policy. You have to have somebody who's going to be able to look through the, that policy, review it with you and, and give you a heads up that, hey, yeah, this policy is cheaper, but this is why. Is that a good value to you or not? And it's our job to educate our customers so that they can make a good decision 
Um, and, and that's part of the, the, the issues that we have, the challenges that we have as an insurance industry with cyber is that uh, it's just difficult to compare one carrier's forms to another. Do we, I, I don't think they did, but did, do we know if Colonial Pipeline had cyber insurance? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I, I've heard different things, um, but I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure. I'd honestly be a little surprised if they didn't have the cyber insurance, um, but you never know. Uh, it's possible that they did not. I, I know that they, they they paid the ransom. Somebody paid the ransom. Yeah, know they that. Did. Yeah, we know they paid the ransom. And Jonathan Kimmett again said, as states and federal agencies begin to restrict organizations from paying out ransom, do you believe it'll help encourage better cyber practice? That I was actually going to ask that same question. If 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 people have cyber insurance, does does that just make them more lazy on their cyber practices and their organizations? But you, we can go back to Jonathan said it a little better than I did. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, certainly you can see at, at the surface level of things that people have insurance to pay for being lazy uh, with their protocols or, uh, you know, feeling a comfort level that there will be a backstop for them should there need to be some kind of extortion uh, paid, some ransom paid, I should say. Um, but I, I don't know. There's a lot of companies out there that, um, you know, there's a price that anybody will pay for their organization. Sometimes that price is a little, sometimes that price is a lot. If they get hacked and their customer's data gets out or their data gets out, and it's not always personally identifiable information either. I mean, there are, um, you go and think about architects and engineers, if they've, uh, you know, they, they, they're bidding on a project and they've spent a lot of time and energy putting designs and plans together, they certainly don't want that broadcast to their competitors bidding on the same project. Um, so th there is a lot of uh, reasons that people have to to purchase the cyber insurance now one thing i do want to mention as it relates to the question is the the insurance industry is going to force one way or another better policies procedures and protocols from their policyholders to even uh be eligible to purchase the policy they're going to force them to be have more hygiene as it relates to their uh, their IT procedures and, and protocols. And we're seeing it right now. It's in real time. Um, the, the, this is going to be a barrier to entry to just get a policy. So if you're one of the organizations that's out there that wants to have this protection, uh, you're not going to be eligible to get it unless you start doing some things that maybe in the past you didn't think were necessary. And from my perspective, I think that that's a good thing for our country and for, for the industry as a whole, that we promote better cyber hygiene. If it has to come through the insurance aspect of it, forcing it, um, you know, as long as we can find ways for people to comply that aren't too expensive, too obtrusive. And uh, I think that that's a good thing. I think that you know, we'll hopefully, as time goes on, see less and less of these events. But certainly, I don't ever see, you know, now that cyber extortion is here, that it's ever going to go away. You know, we're going to react. We're going to put policies and procedures in place to help mitigate the risk. And then they're going to react to our reaction. And they're going to try to figure out ways around that. And so there's going to, we're starting what feels like a long dance. It feels like we are going to have to continually be vigilant uh, in real time, observe through claims how these events are unfolding, what methods they're using to, to gain access to systems, and then respond to that. So there's going to have to become a partnership much more than there ever has been in the past between companies, organizations, their insurance carriers, and their agents to help everybody navigate through this because it doesn't seem like this is going anywhere. It doesn't seem like this is going to be one wave and then gone. It, this feels like more the beginning of a long fought hard war 
against the actors out there that are trying to take advantage of our vulnerabilities. So what are companies like your company, Missouri General, what are they doing? Because you obviously are very well versed in the cybersecurity industry. Um, I'm very impressed with everything that you know. So like what kind of training are you doing? Is this just from, you know, being in the field and experiencing what you watched in the last couple of years with some of these policies that have filed claims? Is this where you're getting your education or how are they keeping you informed on what's going on? Yeah, it's a great question. Certainly, uh, you know, there's a bit of baptism by fire where you just, you go through it with your clients, you see what happens, you know, our organization uh, writes a fair amount of cyber. And so certainly it's uh, internally, we discuss it a lot. We have partners, carrier side uh, that we're constantly in contact with. Um, you know, we we make sure that we try to stay on top of things. You know, recently with the uh, multi-factor authentication, which I keep throwing that around, I guess I should explain that, not assume everybody understands. That's the, the authentication when you go in, you put in a password to go to a website. And then instead of immediately granting you access to that website, that website will ping a cell phone with a code that then you'll have to go plug in. Or it also could be some kind of physical pass key or, or something else physically that you have. Um, just another way to help prevent unauthorized access into a system. So one of the things that we've done in our agency is uh, hooked up with our carrier partners and also our technology providers to help try to uh, get the word out that this is a thing. <laughs> You're going to need this uh, multi-factor authentication to get a renewal. And you probably don't want to know about that a week before you renew. So we education becomes key. We need to educate to our customers that uh, you know this is one aspect among others that you're going to have to implement. We have tools for you. The carrier has tools. Um, you know, there's certainly some cost-effective multi-factor tools out there. Um, that many different ones to choose from that can be remotely implemented. Um, and so one of the things we're doing is trying to link up our customers with those solutions, be there from the carrier or from our agency. We have uh, lots of different options to choose from. Everybody has a different system. So, um, you know, we make sure that there's, everybody has a solution that, that's affordable to them. And the other thing is training. Um, it's really a lot of training. Training to your employees and the people in your organization not to click on that somewhat real looking email. Um, you know, that's, that's become a, a, a big thing. Don't, it's the, tr the training that goes on, the, the red flags to look for, hovering over a link to see what that actual link is, um, you know, can bring up the URL. If it looks funny, it doesn't look real, don't do it. If, it. if it looks like a funny email from somebody in your organization or one of your customers, you're just not sure whether or not that's a legitimate request, just pick up the phone or send another email to that, that person. Just do the extra step. Protect yourself, protect your organization from a really bad event that could have large ramifications by taking that extra step and verify. The, there's lots of training that's out there. It's web-based. You can, uh, employees can, uh, can take this training at their leisure. Um, it's not, you know, extremely long, half an hour. You know, you can do more uh, and better, more involved, more detailed training as well. But really, uh, the training is the big thing because it only takes the one person, like I mentioned earlier, to hit the wrong button on that email and, and it creates havoc for that organization. And we're seeing it time and time and time again. 60% of all ransomware isn't to large organizations, it's to small and medium-sized organizations. And it never makes the news hardly because it's not big enough. But uh, the ransoms are smaller because they can't pay as much. But what we're finding is that the, the bad actors find that they're easier targets. Yeah, so. that's their bread and butter. And you are preaching to the choir, Brian. We need to get you out of the insurance industry and put you over in our world in cybersecurity. <laughs> but um, this is what we talk about every week at our events, every every show I do. But um, so, so glad to see, you know, people from the insurance industry, you know, really standing strong on 
you know, trying to train people not to click on those links because they're, you know, you're right. 60% of the people still are. Um, Jonathan, again, he had a question. Do you believe that in the future that organizations will need to complete a third-party cyber evaluation to even apply for a policy, much like CMMC or PCI processes? It certainly feels like it's going in that direction. Um, you know, the insurance industry is targeting the large dollar policies first when it comes to those types uh, of uh, barriers, uh, bars to get a quote. Uh, but as time goes on, I, I, my personal opinion is I feel like it's going in that direction that, uh, you know, they're going to start with the larger organizations, the ones that maybe have more to lose. And, and working with them to make sure that they have those procedures in place. But I, I think that as time goes on, that's going to trickle down to your smaller and medium sized organizations as well. Um, but, you know, we, we got to start somewhere as an, as an industry. And certainly the ones that are paying out the biggest claims are going to get the attention first. I just don't see that it's going to stop there. I wish that it would. I wish that there was some kind of silver bullet that we had to defend ourselves um, from these bad actors, but it just seems like we're going to have to become more and more vigilant. And if, if that's what we need to do as a society to protect the good, honest, decent, working, hard working organizations and people out there from uh, being infiltrated, then, you know, our job is to help navigate through that. So I do think that is going to happen. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I think that it will be. We have so many great people in our industry, people like Jonathan Kimmett, that is a chief information security officer. So many of them that um, we that, you know, they support our shows. They're our keynote speakers. And that's their mission is to to help and, you know, protect all these organizations. So love to see that you are spreading that word, too, because they're they're. There has to be some sort of silver bullet eventually, you know. I mean, there are a lot of good things happening in the cybersecurity industry. We just don't talk about those. We talk about the bad things. So um, we just have to keep everyone doing their job as, you know, what we're doing to try to stop these bad actors. Um, I, I found it really interesting, and I, and I can't remember where I was, but I was somewhere here in St. Louis, and I was driving, and there was a big storefront, huge on the storefront, and it was like, buy Bitcoin here. I had never seen that. So, you know, I guess we're going to start seeing more and more of that as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, I guess it's becoming the way of the world, uh, the, the Bitcoins and the and, and all the the cyber currencies that that are out there, and certainly, I mean that is that's another aspect of of the extortion. I mean, it, it's the advance of of cryptocurrency and the untraceability of that cryptocurrency has also been a huge factor in cyber extortion. You know, it was before it was, you know, potentially they could be tracked down through the money trail. These, these bad actors. And and now we're finding that it's becoming more and more difficult. Certainly if they're sloppy, which we've seen every once in a while, uh, you know, our government can help get the money back. Uh, but most of the time, from what I've seen, once that ransom is paid, it's gone. And cryptocurrency has a large role in that. Yeah, it does. And that's, that's cryptocurrency. We've had shows on that as well. And that even falls over to sex trafficking and all of that, you know, everything's being done in this underground world. But when someone, when someone does get hacked and there is a ransom, so are you saying that the insurance that you're providing, they pay your insurance will pay the ransom? Yeah, certainly they, uh, they don't want to, they'll do everything they can not to. Um, they insurance companies are good stewards too. They understand they don't want to pay the ransom. Um, that has ramifications. They also have policy. You know, the policies themselves are already written when, before the claim happens. And the policy says that they're going to take care of their customers in a ransomware event. They're going to try to make them whole again. Now, that can happen in a couple different ways. Everybody's preference is that through the insurance carriers, uh, you know, larger, uh, more resource-laden IT firms that are going to be able to find a way to get access to backups uh, and potentially get you going back up again. And that can get you 
back to where you were. But should that fail, then certainly they will engage and they will negotiate, if you want to call it that, with the bad actors that are out there and try to uh, work out a deal. And they will pay the ransom. And it's funny, I've had uh, plenty of conferences with insurance carriers. And years ago, when the insurance product was newer, and I would ask them, hey, do you guys pay this ransom? And there was always this sheepish look on insurance carriers' faces like, eh, you know, we try not to. Uh, and now now it's just, it's well known. They, they will. Um, they, and they don't want to. And, and uh, they do do everything. I've seen them in action. They will try everything not to pay that ransom. But at the end of the day, they have a contract with their customer. That customer paid a premium. That contract says that their carrier is, has to make them whole again. And if that means that they have to pay a ransom in order to do that, contractually, they're going to have to do that. Um, and so we see it, we see it happening. And unfortunately, it's happening way too much. So as we come to the close of the show, is there any last minute things, any last minute advice that you would like to to any of our listeners? Just what advice to protect yourself, to protect your business from your experience Besides multi-factor authentication, we, we know that. What what else would you leave, want to leave us with? Well, certainly, if, if you're looking for an insurance product or you have one now, then you want to make sure that, you know, before you want to purchase it, that you have the certain procedures and protocols in place. So I would work with your agent or any agent um, that is, you know, able to help you, assist you with that. Um, but that's just in order to get a policy. Um, certainly an insurance policy is, is a tool, but it's not the only way as well. You want to make sure that there's training done with your employees. I can't stress that enough. That, that in my book, is number one. Uh, the most important thing you can do. Look into you know, the resources. There's plenty out there to train your employees, mandate that training, and have it ongoing as well. This should be just something that you do, especially for any employee that's got access to data, to the servers, anybody who's got remote access, privileged uh, administrator, excuse me, administrator level access, um, th them even more so than everybody else. But anybody who's got an email address needs to have training. Well, and I recommend that highly. Well, thank you so much, um, Brian Dolan. He's an account executive with uh, Missouri General, and you can find him on LinkedIn if you have any questions. Very uh, great conversation today. It's the first time we talked about cyber insurance on the show. So thank you so much for sharing this. Our time flew. We could have talked about this. Definitely would love to have you back. So thanks so much, Brian. Again, everyone, don't forget, uh, commemorate and Never forget all of um, those lost soldiers and all of the people that paid a price for 9-11. So thank you for tuning in to Secure and Security for All. Stay safe, stay well, and have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.